thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. You're listening to Wellness Women Radio with women's health experts, Dr. Ashley Bond, the pregnancy and birthing guru, and the queen of hormone imbalances, the period whisperer herself, Dr. Andrea Huddleston. They're raising the bar for women's health by bringing you the most up-to-date health and wellness information to live your best life. Now, onto the show. This episode of Wellness Women Radio is very proudly brought to you by Dinner Twist. Dr. Ashley and I want to let you in on a little secret of how we maintain our healthy whole foods lifestyle with very little time. And one of those ways is actually with Dinner Twist. So they plan, they shop, they deliver everything to our door to take all of the guesswork out of having really healthy meals for dinner each night. Um, I love Dinner Twist because they are a locally family-owned business here in Perth in Western Australia, and all of their produce is locally sourced and seasonal. So they are really invested in all of their suppliers as well, which is absolutely amazing. Everything is so fresh. Uh, Ashley and I both get the Wholesome Box, which is naturally gluten and dairy-free as well, and is very consistent with a paleo-type lifestyle as well. Uh, so it's, you know, completely consistent with, you know, the way that we want to eat and want to feed our loved ones too. This is also how I trick Dean into thinking that I can actually cook. So seriously, if I can do it, everybody can trust me. And their recipes are so delicious. They also have other options apart from the wholesome box. So they have a family box for bigger size families an express box. If you're really short on time, uh, as well as a vegan box too. Now, we would love to give you the opportunity for you to actually try Dinner Twist and realize how healthy, how delicious and how fresh it is, but also how much easier this is going to make life as well. So we have a special promo code for you, and that is going to give you $35 off your first box. And that is WWR for Wellness Women Radio. Um, So we would love you to uh, try for yourself. Don't take my word for it, but let me know what you think. Without further ado, ladies, onto the show. Hey there, gorgeous listeners. Thank you so much for joining us tonight or today or this morning, this evening, wherever you are in the world. It's always a pleasure to have you on board with us. So thank you very much. You're listening to Wellness and Radio with Ashley. And I'm Andrea. And don't forget to follow us on social media. Ash, I saw that you posted some like really gorgeous stuff today. There's some really beautiful photos of your bump, which is not there anymore. Um, no. We're going to talk why <laughs> that is the case tonight. Um, so uh, you can find Ashley and Dr. Ashley Bond on everything. Uh, we are the Wellness Women Official on Facebook, oh, no, on Instagram. And I am drandrea.xo on Insta and The Period Whisperer on Facebook. Um, Ladies, also don't forget that you can consult with us as well um, if there are things that you need help with and you can find out details about that from just from the website. Uh, All right, Ash, I have been waiting for this episode for so long. This is super (laughs) duper exciting because this is where we're going to go into um, the pretty incredible story that was the birth of, um, you know, your your latest um, little tiger cub that you've got there um and i want to hear all about it but there's some other stuff we're going to talk about first and i totally cut you off in the preparation for that because i'm like no stop we just we just have to record (laughs) look i think it's um it is right it feels like a long time coming because ella's uh nine weeks this week so it uh we've certainly got into a groove now at home which is beautiful so it's probably a perfect time to chat about birth stories because it gives you time to kind of reflect on it and sit on the experience and see what you've taken from it when uh all that sort of oxytocin rush sort of 
eases off over the weeks after birth because, um, you know, postpartum can just be like, oh, my God, it's so amazing. I want to do it again. Then six weeks later, you're like, uh, it was great, but no, I'm not ready to do it again. <laughs> it's so amazing. it actually, actually feel like that postpartum that it was so amazing that I actually want to do it again. Yes. I think Pete and I even talked about like, oh, my gosh, we could totally have another child. I'm like, what are we talking about? <laughs> How so- <laughs> soon postpartum was that? I think we were only five or six weeks and I'm just like, whoa, hold your horses. Let's just. Uh, and it wasn't just the need for intimacy it was just more simply going oh my gosh this is amazing she's so gorgeous um so yes ladies listening we we had a little baby girl her name is uh, ella sky and uh she's just divine but she you know I, I, yeah i guess the the t- the purpose of today is not just to have a brag for me about such a great birth because I know a lot of women don't experience that and uh, I'm more than aware of how much trauma is carried through birth and birth experiences which is why I'm so passionate about pregnancy chiropractic and the things that I do and the specific skills and the specific uh, training that I do and have done to bring myself to a place where hopefully I can serve as many women uh, through pregnancy as possible even when women are told that you know they don't need chiropractic or they don't need this or they don't need that your body can do it it's like okay let's talk about preparation you know let's talk about why women don't uh, brag about their amazing births and I think some of those things really come down to our cultural uh, tall poppy syndrome here in Australia I'm just going to speak for Australia because I really don't have experience in any other you know countries um, in the birth experience anyway and I you know I've noticed over the years I've often wondered why the women who had amazing births almost like whisper about it or just have a quiet chat only when they're asked and then you know a lot of the birth stories we hear about um, um, from friends or family or secondhand stories from someone who shares them with us are often quite traumatic or awful or, oh, my God, you know, 40-hour labours or, oh, forceps vacuum and everything. She had everything and they still had to have an emergency Caesar, you know. And honestly, those stories are terrifying to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, subconsciously they are to a lot of other women who are considering pregnancy um and birth. So I really want to talk tonight about um, some of the things that – I find to set women up for success Um, and Andrew throw the the things that you know as well because in practice you see a lot of pregnant women too Um, and the things that we did knowing myself and my husband Peter as a couple what we did to prepare ourselves for birth and of course how that varied a little bit from first pregnancy to our second pregnancy with Ella so um, yeah I think that's just sort of frames the episode so hopefully ladies um, that's of interest to you let's talk a little bit about the positive birth experiences because I think you know it's just so many women are really afraid to share their exciting stories uh, for fear of I believe for fear of causing negative um, emotions in others you know we we don't want to feel like we're bragging in case someone around us didn't have that experience and we don't want to belittle them or make them feel less about their birth experience Um, so it can be really hard to to talk about because we're so used to hearing women having challenge in birth or hospital experiences that they didn't want so we tend to shy away from talking too openly about it but I do wonder whether um, our shying away from the big story is actually preventing other women and feeling inspired or excited or seeing new possibilities, opportunities, or even just thinking about things they weren't aware of, you know, mm. and um, and I believe there are ways we can set ourselves up for birthing success and there are absolutely some things that will, well, set us up for um, 
the myriad of challenges that could occur. And I say could because there's no guarantees in birth. There's anyone you talk to, it doesn't matter how well prepared you are. We don't have all bases covered, but let's talk about the things we actually do have some control over um, because, you know, thanks to amazing hormones in our body, there's so much that would just happen automatically if we allow our bodies to do so. And actually, that's such an interesting point that you made about how women don't necessarily share the good stuff. Um, and I think that trauma and pain is so bonding right it's yes. so relatable and it's the the shock and awe factor and um i think for women you, you know they can they can certainly bond and, and relate to those sorts of things and you hear women even with you know very adult children even still talking about their 40 hour labors or their you know whatever it might be um in relation to how they birth their kids and it's almost like joking um, mm-hmm. and something that they they joke about using against their children and, <laughs> you know, all these horrific things, um, which is completely understandable. And, you know, I totally get why they'd be doing that and I'd be doing that too. But there's also a flip side of that and there is a realm of possibility that could be different. Yes. And the number of women that I counsel um, who are pregnant, who are absolutely terrified of act- the actual birth process and labour because of how they've been inundated by all of the horrific stories that they hear from their friends and family, mm. um, you know, sharing their experiences and, and wanting to, you know, try and um, tell them the things to be aware of or what to look out for and that sort of thing. But it doesn't necessarily mean that that is useful information in that moment to that woman who is already petrified of, of what's to come. Um, so, Ash, this, I think this is such an important conversation to have, again, just about what that possibility could be like. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, again, we are talking about what I would call uh, the relatively low risk pregnancies here. Correct. Because there's so many deviations. Um, you know, from normal. And it is very tricky to then just put a blanket on all of those uh, possibilities. But for ladies that are like, yeah, no, cool, pregnancy, things are just going along. Everyone told me it's normal. Um, No one's concerned about everything or anything. It's like, cool, they're the ones that I really want to talk to about the possibilities of have you thought about this, this and this, because um, that will determine the birth outcome in so many different ways. And it also determines whether a woman has a positive birth experience or one that's going to require some degree of debriefing and uh, potentially counselling thereafter. And we do know that birth trauma leads to an increased risk of postpartum anxiety, postpartum depression. So it's a really massive Mm. thing to make sure we get, um, you know, women into a space of mental empowerment um, and physical empowerment. They know what they are capable of and they know what their possibilities and options are and that they know throughout they've made choices as opposed to being told what to do and feeling really disempowered powered on the other side of the birth experience. Um, I recently posted something about you know this in a gentle way, just challenging the idea that we are hospitalizing women unnecessarily frequently. Um, and I did get a little bit of backlash from a couple of women. And I thought it was really interesting because I you know completely respect their experiences. And in those circumstances, they required hospitalization. But again, mm. I was, you know, just generally talking about our low-risk pregnancies. Why does a low-risk pregnant woman assume she needs an obstetrician to pull her baby out? Um, Why why have we been told that story and why do we believe that that's what we need? Um, What if there is another way? And so, you know, my my home birth experiences for both my children, I believe is that other way. It's about who we chose as care providers and uh, and why we chose those people. So, um, 
I guess, you know, for women that are pregnant, I generally sort of smile and say, look, you're going to birth either way. <laughs> um, yeah. You, your baby, once you pass a point of viability and you believe everything is going along well, then there will be a time where you have to consider the birth experience. Um, so that birth experience can be one um, of, oh, we'll just see what happens and I'm just going to go in when I am you know, feel like I'm laboring and, oh, you know, it'll just happen anyway, which is um, sometimes, a, I guess, a blissful naivety, which might be a good approach for some people. Um, but I do think there is a better way for me, that personally is the thing that I educate women on. And that is the more you know, the more choices you have, the more power you have, and the more you can retake that power if someone is telling you what to do and you don't believe that's right for you, um, as opposed to feeling walked over by care providers around you. So that's a really, really important thing because if you don't know your rights in the birth room, um, you will potentially work out the other side of your birth experience wondering what happened and how things went the way they were and why did that happen. Um, and they would, what I would be talking about is the negative experiences women share so openly with each other um as you said in that tribe it's almost like counseling debriefing you know if we share our negative experiences amongst each other we can sort of counsel ourselves through that grief or that trauma um by openly talking about it which a lot of women do when they know other women have had negative experiences as well um and if you're a bystander or a woman on the sidelines thinking about getting pregnant that can be like oh my gosh all these women had horrible births what's going on and uh, do i really want to get pregnant i've definitely had some women tell me that they've heard about uh, such awful births i just don't want to have kids i'm like really <laughs> is that why are you sure that's the only reason why um so yeah i just uh i'm a big believer in challenging women's assumptions and fears around birth um there's a lot of those and that could just come down to sometimes the silliness of all those movies we've watched with women lying on their back with their legs in stirrups and being yelled at to push and <laughs> someone's dragging the baby out by the head and i'm like i don't know about you but that's pretty horrible image i think that's a really awful uh you know way of imagining birth and if i could tell you the way our birth went and you might start to see oh wow that is a really different energy that's a really different experience um and even just the visualization of the thing we always talk about like you know pushing a, a something the size of a watermelon out of your <laughs> vagina that's you know as if it's not supposed to happen that way yeah. and of course that is horrific imagery and you know of course you know hollywood's got a lot to answer for there but ash talk us through um maybe before you get to you know your actual incredible birth story can i ask what sort of things did you do to prepare for ella's birth look i think some of those things um were done before Ella's birth in the sense that they were done the first time around with Oliver. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, through his pregnancy, I was able to yeah, talk to other women about positive birth experiences. I was looking for the communities that I believed um, embodied the kind of birth that I was wanting to have. They were women who were focused on home birth or ones who had home birth. There were even women who had you know, vaginal births after caesareans. I found some of the VVAC mums fantastic resources because they had to rewrite their birth experience uh, with a lot of pushback from the medical community saying no no you, you know you shouldn't have a vaginal birth after a cesarean there's a risk of uterine rupture and all these sorts mm. of things so they were sort of pushed into a fear box but they managed to overcome that and i was always curious like how do you get past that fear obviously the first birth you had was not the one you wanted or it could be the second or the third um and here you are pregnant again and what are you doing to get 
past that that fear or that experience. So I found that really helpful and so many of them had the same advice and it was a lot to do with headspace and preparation. Um, so for me personally, that journey involved hypnobirthing, but I know there's a lot of different birth courses that resonate with women for different reasons. Um, I also mm. love, you know, calm birth. Some women find that really helpful. Um, and there's another program as well called She Births. And uh, there's just a, there's a lot out there really. Uh, a lot of people are very familiar with the word hypnobirthing and they have this idea that somehow you're you know, hypnotized and you're going to birth um, under a hypnotic trance or something. But it's so much more than that, or actually it's not even that at all, but it's a way of managing your mind, your body and your breathing to basically bring your stress hormones down to increase the positive birth hormones that help you birth well. And, you know, it naturally reduces your pain experience as well. So that's really, for me, the nutshell of hypnobirthing is empowerment choices, um, body control, mind control, in the sense that you, you take back that control when you're under the most stress, which is birth. You know, birth really is quite stressful. There's experiences and pains you've never had before and you have to find a way not to fall into that fear trap, which basically clenches everything tight. And, of course, babies aren't born well when their mothers are contracting and holding everything really tight. It's, uh, it's quite an unusual thought to think you actually have to let go. You have to release and you have to learn how to release as opposed to push and contract like we've been told so often. Push, push, you know, that stress and strain. Um, anyone who's ever you know, tried to push out a oversized poo knows the experience. It's painful. It's not comfortable, right? <laughs> now then put that into a baby context and you can see why women are scared of birth because it just sounds really, really hard and impossibly difficult and painful. Uh, but it doesn't have to be that way. So hypnobirthing is absolutely one of those experiences that we utilized in our first birth and second so we did a refresher for Ella as well um, I have spoken over the years to mums who thought they had it all covered for their first birth and didn't do any of the stuff for the second birth and it was the second one that went sideways uh, because they didn't actually uh, prepare for it again they thought they'd kind of covered it all the bases the first time round. It's going to be much the same. Um, I've got this, haven't got time to go and do all those courses. And unfortunately, they've experienced not such great second births because I think sometimes we, we do need to refresh things. We need to re repractice the experiences or repractice the skills that got us uh, the positive experience we had the first time. So that's just, you know, one part of it. Um, I am a person as well, like I had this vision of a beautiful home birth. So I watched as many YouTubes of beautiful home births as I could. You know, I put that in my mind's eye um, with the support people around the, the birth pool. Now I was visualizing a birth pool, but funny enough, a little inkling of me knew this time around there wasn't going to be a pool involved and I'm not exactly mm -hmm. sure why um, but I kind of just knew somehow so I had been seeing uh, other birthing this time around I saw a lot more videos where women just you know birthed on the floor birthed on the bed birthed um, one woman was birthing in the garden like one was birthing on the beach like I was just watching these birth videos of women birthing in all sorts of places um, to give me that idea that hey it happens anywhere everywhere it's all okay it's completely safe with the right support you're okay um, and that was really interesting so I do wonder whether that kind of you know brought Ella's birth into a different space as well because I stopped visualizing the pool and started to visualize all these other experiences as well um, so that's a big one and that has a lot to do with our mindset and the calm we bring ourselves knowing that we are okay and that we've seen other women do it um, and I'm a person as well that loves to reflect on historic you know women as well in the sense that we've 
come from how many generations of women to get us to this point? Like how mm. many women have experienced birth um, to allow us to be here, to be experiencing birth? And I, my, my brain kind of goes back generation to generation to generation to generation. And no, I don't know those women, but in my mind, I just visualize all these incredible women with a fraction of the support and safety we have today, um, mm. but they were still able to birth safely and effectively. And sometimes, sadly, the women didn't survive, but the baby did, and that baby went on to birth someone else. You know, like it just it helped me really reflect on the big picture stuff um, mm. that we're just a part of the beautiful world of women birthing women. Um, so that was really important for me as well, and that brings a lot of calm in my soul um, to know that it's okay. And I think the other side of it as well was just reflecting again on our birth plan, the things and choices as we wanted to have um, and not being afraid to create like a plan B, C, D, E, F, G. We didn't have one set plan. We just had a few variations on it thinking, okay, well, if this happens, this is what we want. If this happens, this is what we'd like. Um, if this happens, leave it to our midwife. It's her call. She's going to make that call because that's critical care scenario. Like, you know, just all those sorts of things um, and then being okay with all of them and coming to a really nice place of acceptance of whatever it looks like is going to be right for us. Um, oh, I like I like that flexibility that you have there because, um, I, like, obviously, I'm always encouraging women to to sit down and think about that birth plan, but also have um, maybe not that complete rigidity. Yeah, because. Yeah. From what I see and certainly what I've learned from you, Ash, as well in terms of your birth and having the babies is is that surrendering and that letting go and how critical that is for, um, you know, just having that positive birth experience as well. And if that means that things aren't exactly textbook as to, you know, what you've written but being okay with, you know, all those different scenarios, then, you know, I think that that's critical. Absolutely. And I, um, you know, even with our midwife, I had had the chat about what um, we call the best possible cesarean. And now cesarean is like way down the bottom of my list. It's not something I would visualize and wouldn't want, but we still made a plan of action that if this was needed for any reason, um, mm. this is what we'd love it to look like. And, you know, bar an outrageous emergency, which was not that likely to happen, um, it was fantastic to even just have that said. And it's like, okay, just because I said it doesn't make it's going to happen, but at least my midwife is really clear if this happens, if we do transfer, if this, you know, scenario occurs, then this couple wants this and yep. this is what they would like that to look like and this is what I'm going to do. I'm like, cool, That's that was the safety factor as well. It's like, awesome, she knows exactly what we need. Mm. Um, and I, I think, you know, just that simplicity, like, okay, so just let's talk that scenario quickly because I know a lot of them, they're curious or they actively, yeah. actively want a cesarean um, and that's beautiful too because some women, you know, if you plan your cesarean well, then you can have all of these same experiences, early skin to skin, you know, the baby's placed straight up onto your chest. You can even have your own music in some theatres and if you can't, they often allow you to wear a wireless headset so you can actually have your um, noise cancelling headphones on and have your play list playing while you're birthing your baby. Um, and, you know, that these are things that help to increase um, our oxytocin, our love hormone, because when we don't feel out of control or we feel as though we've got some of those control elements there um, and we're happy and we're ready for something we want and we've made those choices, it actually upregulates the oxytocin. Now, isn't that really cool? Mm -hmm. um, contrast that to, oh, my God, I'm going to have a C-section. I have no idea what's going on, what's going to happen. Like, I'm scared, I'm scared, I'm scared, I'm scared. And that just really drops down all of our positive birthing hormones. So, you know, to have those um, – 
worst case scenarios already planned out can actually still initiate the oxytocin cascade, which will help with birth and bonding after birth as well. Um, so that's what I was seeing that as a really important role of why we choose those things. Um, you know, and just even making you feel like you're the center of the, that birthing experience as opposed to the doctor doing everything, a specialist mm. doing everything, the midwife doing everything. You're still the mother. You still birth your baby. How that baby arrives is up to the medical needs, but you are number one, your baby is number one, you know, and that's where I think some women get a bit lost in the medical system from what I've heard from some debriefing um, with mums that I've chatted to. It often relates around, I didn't feel like I was in control. They didn't feel like they cared about me. This happened to Mm me um, as opposed to I chose this. Yeah. So that's, you know, I believe that's something we can prevent. I think we can prevent a lot of those negative experiences just by having that conversation. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's yeah. how far have I gone down that track? Um, <laughs> Is that uh, enough? <laughs> so actually, no, you talked about, I, and I do want to finish that thought. Um, you were saying that if uh, it got to the point where, say, you were going to have a C-section, how to make that as positive as possible. So skin to skin, so immediate skin to skin, your own music so that you can encourage, you know, that oxytocin production and, and, um, you, know, you know, obviously feeling less connected to that really sterile hospital, hospital setting. What other things would have been on that list for you? Uh, specifically for cesarean? Yes. Yeah, so then uh, would have been related to um, the – well, I chose private midwife because then we could have continuity of midwifery care, meaning that that yes. midwife was allowed in theatre. Um, she was able to be there with me, which would have been informative if things were happening. She could translate, you know, while my mm. brain is in baby mode, birthing mode. Um, yes. You've got someone there who understands the hospital language, who understands what's going on, who can actually translate that in a way that can make you feel really safe. Um, and so as long as I would feel safe, then I knew that I would feel less fear. And as long as I felt less fear, then I would keep, all those hormones, those happy hormones working in my favour, which really promotes the mother's recovery and also baby bonding after the birth mm. as well. So they were really big big parts of that um, was just how do we keep our environment that we have control over as stable and as consistent as possible, and that was it. Um, so we did choose a private midwife for that very reason, so I knew who would be there. And if it wasn't her, I knew the backup, and the backup was incredible too. And even if it wasn't her, I actually knew who the third person was. And so between, you know, like I felt like oh, it doesn't matter. Any one of those women could walk in, and I'd be so excited to see them. Like I knew that I'd be, be safe and supported. Um, so that is one reason why I very strongly recommend uh, um, continuity of care through a good midwifery program if your hospital has one. Mm. And Ash, what else? Um, is there anything else that you would have had on your list for your like requirements or requests um, for a C-section? Oh, look, I think that's really tricky because that's a hospital by hospital scenario right there. Mm-hmm. Um, so you will notice that there's different rules and regulations around theatre in different mm-hmm. hospitals. So I really probably couldn't be too... Um, Specific on that one because even though I requested a transfer to a particular hospital, if there was a reason I couldn't go there, the second hospital I would transfer to had different rules. So yeah, okay. Um, it was kind of like a, let's just hope we don't get there. <laughs> yeah, okay. And, and, and if and we Ash, do, then you, that would be the midwife's call. <laughs> would you sort of think about things like delayed cord clamping, like the um, you know, obviously vaginal inoculation or those sorts of things? Were they on on the list, or that it wasn't as important to you? Oh, absolutely. Delayed cord clamping, yes. But I do know where women have had that request and it just hasn't been honoured. So yeah, you know, you put it on the request, but you have to be really careful again in a surgical setting it's not always something that will be honored um so if you set your heart on that and it doesn't occur it can really set you up for a a terrible um 
uh, postpartum, you know, experience thinking, mm-hmm. you know, my baby didn't get this and I, you know, wanted that and all the rest. So, um, there were a couple of factors that I would have definitely wanted to um, avoid if I could. But mm-hmm. again, like I said, I think we can't control what we can't control. We can only put in requests where we can. So, um, yeah. this is where as well a lot of women may find themselves um disappointed postpartum because from the outside world it looked like an incredible amazing birth they Mm. made it birth vaginally and everyone said oh my gosh they did an amazing job but that woman inside felt out of control she didn't get the birth experience she wanted because something didn't happen the way she wanted it to someone forgot to turn the music on or do you know like all of those elements that may have made that woman's experience uh not such a positive experience yet to everyone else around her they're thinking, oh, wow, she was amazing. She did so well. She looked great. You know, what a great birth. She was amazing. And she keeps getting told this. And I've definitely spoken to women like that. And their internal dialogue and their internalized experience is completely different. You would even go as far as to say it was traumatic for them. And you think, oh, my gosh, what an interesting situation that from the outside people said amazing. Yeah. From the inside, I didn't feel amazing. I felt out of control. People didn't do what I asked for. Um, I didn't like that. You know, there's there's um, mm. lots. Of, and this is why I ask women, Plan A, B, C, D, E, F, G. You've got to yep. do all of them. <laughs> you you, you yep. can't set your sights and your heart on plan A only uh, because it just may not go that way. Yeah. Okay. So, Ash. Yes. Tell me, or and please, I would love, love, love for you to share with the audience um, about Ella's birth because oh, it you. is incredible. It was fun. Um, and I'll just say that because maybe women listening are thinking, oh, where's she going to go with this? Um, so hear me out. I guess, you know, for our experience, um, we were at uh, what would be term. You know, we were 40 yeah. plus three, 40 plus four. Look, honestly, I didn't really fixate on the date. So, you know, you could have told me it was 40 plus and I would, you know, wouldn't have yeah. worried. Um, it was not numbers that I, I stressed too much about because I knew that we had time and space because I'd chosen a private midwife in a private birth setting. So I wasn't up against the clock and I wasn't up against deadlines and numbers that would have um, deviated my birth plan, so to speak. So that is that is always the challenge when you don't have um, a private midwife. You will find that there may be numbers and rules you have to fit in order to birth, and that's often where women feel a bit uh, controlled in their birth experience because they wanted to maybe wait an extra day, but they didn't get that opportunity. So in our experience, we um, yeah, I guess for me, I woke up um, on a Thursday morning, and it was probably about four four thirty in the morning. I remember thinking, oh, and I had that uh, really deep sort of period pain, cramp sensation, and I was like, oh, there we go, a bit of cervix uh, pressure right there. That's interesting. And I thought, oh, okay, maybe the next you know couple of days because sometimes that's not you know the first, that's just a warm up sign so I wasn't getting too excited and then throughout the day I just had some um, irregular tightenings I wouldn't have said full contractions because I just didn't I kind of went oh mm, hello oh, okay carry on um, but I did walk to the shops and back and I had to stop three times on the way to the shops and that was uh, definitely a first experience I was like, oh that really caught me oh okay carry on Ollie's on the bike I'm pretty sure she's you know. making some really good facial expressions while she, uh, while but she I, I totally did that you know like it's that thing that you're walking along in mid-stride you're like oh okay (laughs) and you're like I laugh things off so even that laugh I just did that is my uncomfortable like kind of laugh of like oh this is painful but I'll just laugh through it um so I do I have always used laughter as my method through pain and it's a bit nuts I guess for some people but I do know it increases serotonin and happy hormones so I do know it has a, a natural analgesic effect so there is uh some 
some reason behind uh, the laughter. I'm sure my body innately does that for that reason. So yeah, by the afternoon, I was thinking, oh, okay, feels like there's, you know, slightly more um, duration in these tightenings. That's interesting. So we gave our midwife a call just after 6 p.m. and um, said, oh, look, I remember really clearly Jane to her going, oh, yeah, I reckon the next 24 hours probably just have to be ready for me because I think, you know, between now and tomorrow we'll probably have a baby. And uh, she's like, oh, okay, cool, you feeling this? I'm like, no, I haven't had, you know, mucus plug or bloody show. No, my waters haven't broken. I just, I'm just feeling it, that's all. Um, she's like, oh, okay, look, keep me posted. So I uh, hung up the phone and then called her back at uh, around – Oh, I think, yeah, around seven o'clock. And um, she's like, oh, and I'm like, oh, look, I've just had a lot more in this last uh, half hour. I feel like it's really like it's actually come on a little bit quicker than I thought it would, but it's, it's uh, not maxing out just yet. She's like, oh, it sounds like early signs, all good. Um, keep me posted. Should I, should I come over now and just check you? I'm like, ah, oh, no, no, have your dinner first. Anyway, she got off the phone. She said, I'd listen to you. You'd stop talking twice in like a five minute phone call. So I didn't go and have dinner. I went and got my scrubs on. <laughs> so she knew better than I did at that point that uh, birthing was uh, not too far away, but neither of us thought how far away it might be. So that was seven o'clock when we just put Oliver to bed upstairs. I came downstairs to relax and uh, lay on the couch and um, yeah, like I guess five, 10 minutes after lying down, I thought, oh, I better start timing these. So realized I didn't even have the timer on my my phone, my little light app that I, I was like, oh, I don't even have the app on here. I better download that. So I put the app on, hit one cycle. I'm like, oh, 145. Hmm, that was a bit longer than I thought. I would have said 30 seconds. And then the next one, I didn't even tap the phone again because I got off the couch for Peter to put down the wet sheet. And I said, look, get the get everything ready. I think, you know, we're going to be birthing tonight. Um took two steps off the couch and was like, oh, that was a good one. Um, and then I was like, oh, hang on, this is feeling really pushy. Pete, I think I'm, I feel like my waters are about to break. Can you call our midwife back, please? <laughs> and so called her and like literally next minute we had this massive, um, you know, contraction and I'm standing, you know, hands against the wall, fully clothed, living room. Um, Pete had rolled up the living room, cut like mat carpet so that uh, it didn't get, you know, messed up with birth. Um, had put the sheet over the couch, hadn't even looked at the birth pool, hadn't even looked at the hose that he'd gone to Bunnings to get for filling up the birth pool. Um, so funny, touched none of that stuff. So, you know, I said, I just wasn't sure that we we're going to have a water birth. Funny enough, it was just not meant to be. And uh, in that moment, I had this incredible like, oh, this is not just the water. This is the baby too. Like this this instantaneous sensation of like, oh, I think it's all happening. And of course, this, you know, anyone who's birthed, that primal roar of like, oh, just incredible. This is it. Um, midwife's on the phone. She heard it and obviously realized, oh, <laughs> and I remember just having one hand in my pants trying to feel for the, like the membrane or something down there and realized I was feeling the full weight of my baby. And, um, pants on I tried to catch her well I didn't know it was her at that stage it's our baby um from the inside I had one hand inside my pants leg one hand outside my pants leg and I was like Pete there's a baby and just when I said that there was this so I had this you know little squeal of cries while we couldn't see anything because I'm still fully dressed and it was just you know waters had ruptured everything had happened all at one go and we here she was hanging upside down and inside of my pants you know and she sort of slid down to my knee and I was just remember thinking oh my god catch her like 
just don't let her fall. Um, so then Pete had to try and get my, my outer pants off and she'd slipped through the in, inner leg of my undies. So the cord and the baby had gone through the leg of my undies. And so Pete ran to the kitchen to grab scissors. Midwife's on the phone, you know, just talking us through everything okay. Just she was really awesome, so cool and calm and just kept us really steady. And he came back with scissors. And I remember hearing this like, like crunch, like oh, this like squishy sound. And all I recall thinking was, I, I didn't realise, I yelled it out as well, don't cut the cord. <laughs> and it was a not cutting the cord. He was cutting my undies off so we could untangle the cord and the baby and everything that would, uh, that had happened. So Pete was so cool. He was amazing. Um, and then after that, it was like, oh, because she'd had a bit of a, a, I guess, a surprise entrance. She was in a bit of shock. So she didn't kind of instantaneously, after that first little squeal, she sort of didn't breathe well. She was in a moro reflex. She was all outstretched and silent and not moving and not breathing. And I was like, oh, my gosh. And I, I was like, what do we call a midwife? Um, the, the ambulance and um, our midwife obviously said, why? Is something wrong? Just give her a rub. And as soon as we rubbed her and stuff, she was like, oh, you know, started to breathe and pinked. She was really, you know, pinked up really quickly and she was amazing and she was so calm. She was so beautiful. It was just incredible watching these glazed little dark eyes just blinking, you know, through all their slime at you going, oh, like almost like, whoa, mum, that was, that was quick. Um, so, you know, I was standing there with the, the cord hanging and baby in my arms um, still with my top on I you know hadn't got any clothing off other than the pants that Pete had managed to pull off me and uh, then you know walking around the the living room realizing I just couldn't sit down my body just didn't want to sit down for anything and the midwife kept saying Pete check she's okay like you know thinking you know blood pressure drop and the risk of fainting and all that sort of stuff Um, but no I couldn't tell you why I felt incredible like I just felt so calm and strong of course you get a little bit of shaking um with oliver's birth i had a lot of like a lot of shaking after birth this one i found i I didn't really shake too much i had a little bit of like you know shivery shaky after birth that passed quite quickly so i felt really coherent and clear as i was standing there walking around um until our midwife reminded me that if i birth this placenta the cord is going to be like a bungee cord and might drag baby out of my arms and hit the deck and i was like Oh, yeah, like that idea of, you know, like I'm fully standing. So if this placenta drops, the cord placenta, everything's going to drop with it and baby's still attached. And I was like, oh, okay. So, you know, someone ran and grabbed a tub. And uh, then by that stage, midwife and doula and everyone had come in and our birth photographer's at a wedding. So she was on her way. Oh, my goodness. So all these people we had, uh, you know, I had this, I'll tell you what I actually had in mind. I had in mind this beautiful home birth with all of these people around me, the photographer taking all these magic photos you know that you see on the internet you know when you scroll through instagram all those incredible birthing photos you're like oh my gosh how beautiful oh so i had that in my mind no none of that (laughs) we've got one blurry grainy photo of me standing there half clothed with ella in my arms and that's about it so um it just goes to show you can plan for those things but it doesn't necessarily work out but was that a beautiful birth for us absolutely was it safe and positive absolutely um and i know look some women will probably sit there thinking oh that was just lucky was it or was it well prepared you know combined with good Mm. medical care that made that assessment that my my pregnancy had been low risk all along my 
you know, stats, my vitals, mm. my assessments had been um, incredibly good all along. So there was no foreseeable risk. The early questions the midwife asked immediately, you know, after birth, looking for blood, looking for meconium and all those things, they were all okay. So um, in that moment, yes, everything was safe and there was no need for any further intervention. And as it showed in the following, you know, couple of hours, both Ella and I were brilliant. We were both doing really, really well. So we did delay cord clamping that um Mm-hmm. We we birthed placenta first and we're still all attached, you know, baby cord and placenta. Um, and it actually took a long time for her cord to go white, you know, for anyone who's had delayed clamping. So she was obviously really happily attached to her placenta. Um, and then Peter uh, cut the cord and we had Ella and this beautiful placenta sitting there, which was, you know, big and healthy and uh this time around as well, again, talking about choices, I had, did choose to uh, do placental encapsulation. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't do that the first time around. And anyone who's sort of heard any, you know, stories that I've talked about of my first birth experience, I really didn't enjoy the postpartum period. And I mm-hmm. thought, look, anything I can do that might make it a bit better, that could reduce my risk of that sort of postpartum blues, I'll take a chance on it. Um, I hadn't been sold on the whole placental encapsulation. There's a couple of things I think about that where I'm like, well, why would you reintroduce hormones into the body that may have been excreted the placenta and blah, blah, blah. But I thought, look, at worst case scenario, it does nothing and it's not mm-hmm. helpful. Best case scenario, it does something and it may help me, you know, and that's that was kind of my reasoning this time around, mm. um, whereas last time I actively chose not to do that. So, um, and that was a choice. I was aware of it, but I just chose, I mm. didn't feel that I needed it. So, that was a couple of things. So I did focus more on the postpartum experience this time around um, and what that looked like, you know, making sure that I had postpartum uh, doula kind of work thrown in there for some meals and some, you know, just aftercare, just things that really, you know, mattered to me. Um, and, of course, with a private midwife, having those home visits uh, for the first six weeks was just fantastic. And she acts you know, not just as a midwife but as a lactation consultant in ways, you know, checking on breastfeeding, checking on mum, checking on baby. So they were our choices. That was our birth. It was quite comical. I still remember staying there in that one moment, look, thinking, I'm fully clothed. This baby's coming. Oh, this is bloody hilarious um (laughs) like what's going on um but you know again it was not uh not exactly as i planned but i couldn't have planned it better if that makes sense oh it definitely makes sense and um ash there's a few funny images there of and the way that you've sort of described it to me before it was you were lying on the couch and from the change in position from lying down to standing up to that step or so is just it was just the perfect storm of just allowing everything to move and change and i can just see ella just sliding down your pant legs like a slippery slide (laughs) oh absolutely (laughs) and we had to try and explain because the door and you know midwife were sitting after looking and one of the midwives was looking and she goes, how'd you get the vernix all the way down to your knee? Like thinking like, what's going on here? Like why? And she hadn't kind of, she came, she was the second midwife, came in later. Yeah. And and I was like, oh no, she was like, she birthed in my pants. And she's thinking just my undies. I'm like, no, I was fully clothed. She's like, oh, but you didn't even get your, like your trousers off. I'm like, no, I was in my, my loose fit linen pants. And she just came all the way through. So yeah, that was oh. quite funny when they were sitting there trying to work out like the mechanics of the birth. Like how? I'm just, you know, I saw the funny puzzled looks on their faces and then she had the, you know, the 
the direct question. And I was like, you know, yeah, no, she was she was down my leg. She slid down my leg. So, um, yeah, um, obviously, hubby Pete, big credit to him. He, you know, now puts midwife on his CV. No jokes. <laughs> totally. <laughs> this unintentional free birth that you had at home, um, I think, is just incredible. And, um, Ash, you – uh, seem completely different this time around. Yes, um, I think so too. And um, speaking of Pete as well, and he, um, the way he is experiencing you and Ella this time around seems completely different. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's so funny because that night you text me at like seven o'clock because we were due to record. Oh, seven seven o five because yeah. I'd already spoken to yeah. my wife and I was like, oh, Andy, I just you know I, I don't think I'm just feeling a lot of pressure. I don't think I want to sit on a chair and sit and record tonight. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And then literally thirty minutes later, listen, she was I got at a seven twenty one. I got a text message from Pete. So um, nine minutes after she was born, he texted me and, and um, yeah. to tell me that she was there, and I'm like. What? Yeah, we what? Just, we just texted it like thirty minutes ago. You told me you were in that possible early stages of labor, and I'm like, okay, we'll wait a couple of days, and then I'll hear from them. Literally thirty minutes later, I was like looking at my phone, like completely like flummoxed for ages. And um, Pete was just so so sweet, texting me back and forth, telling me everything that had happened. And um, I think the next day he was possibly in a little bit of shock um just you know the definitely um, it all happened so fast and his role in the birth was not the one we you know we didn't plan for him to be staying there doing the the postpartum checks of (laughs) me and baby like that just was not on the on the plan and I also you know another little factor that I was really grateful for was I had expected with um such a you know rapid birth and I knew that I had a lot of those hormones you know circulating that I wasn't going to feel a lot of pain I was a little bit curious to see if I had any tearing because I wasn't sure if I be able to feel that you know given the kind of oxytocin flood you have after birth mm-hmm. and it was incredible with the midwife's checking and she's like there's not even a graze i'm like oh okay wow how, is this like the immaculate birth experience like how does that happen no. what just happened they just teleport out of your tummy yeah is that i know right <laughs> oh look and i and again i, I have to be careful because i don't want it to sound like a brag and i really don't want to diminish or belittle any woman's experience of their birth but um this is my story and this is my, my experience yeah. and it and is what I'm going to share. Not- yeah. yeah, it's not a brag at all. It's literally you sharing your incredible story, which is so amazingly inspiring. Mm. Um, and I think also, um, Ash, because I know you so well, like I'm so not surprised because you – and the, the difference that I see in women in the transformation between them having um, – not good versus bad birth is not the way to talk about it, but um, th- that's not the right words, but just an, an empowering birth like what you've had. Mm. And the difference is that I see that you draw your strength internally. Yes. And whereas I, I some of um, some of my patients, for example, who maybe um, haven't their, their births have certainly not been the experience that they had planned or, or what, whatever it might be. And that's a lot of the time when they are drawing their, their strength externally and looking for that external um, sort of strength and support, which is absolutely not wrong. But I'm just wondering how we sort of flip that around and how, how do we help them sort of look internally for that strength as well? Um, yeah, I, I do like to talk about, you know, oxytocin a lot. Um, and that's why I said to women, I said everything you need to do has got to be geared around supporting the mm. brain and oxytocin. Yeah. What you think and how you think 
directly impacts the birth you get. And that's not saying that you cause a negative birth because that's mm. not that's not exactly like it's not like a this causes that. It's yeah. more that if you didn't elevate those oxytocin levels high enough, then you get this you know dystocia, for example, um, a birth process that doesn't uh, a labour experience that doesn't progress quickly or well. You know, there's things that are limiting, and often they are limiting beliefs. Often they may be just the subtle belief that I can't do this. You know, it, it may be a very subconscious belief, but it's a belief all the same. And in, in that, that small subconscious belief, it's a massive physiological effect. Mm. Um, so I talk to women a lot about how we release our fears, um, how we make our environment familiar to us, you know, in the sense that why did I choose home? God, it's the safest place in the you know, world to me, it's mm. my space. It's what I have control over. It's it's my environment. It's my lights and my lamps and my smells and my my family. Like it's just for me, that's a very very safe space. The idea and image of a hospital for me is not that safe space. So I actually had to mm. do my hypnobirthing uh, fear releases were actually on the image of hospital. Mm. Isn't that interesting? Like, whereas a lot yeah. of women would be like terrified the idea of a birth at home. That would be terrible. That would be a really bad scenario for them. But in my case, I thought, well, what if I transferred? Because if I know I'm transferring, I'm, I don't want to be there. I better let that go. You know, so this time around, I focused on letting go of everything, you know, letting go of any fear that I had relating to the hospital, which I didn't do the first time. I focused on the fear around home birth because people had told me oh you know that's not a great idea it's unsafe so i had to let go of other people's fears to let yeah. me feel safe there um but because i was so confident this time that that was okay i then had to go one step further and release the idea of the hospital birth being scary to me oh uh, i'm so glad that you didn't have to um you know none of that became a reality though no um, but again did that just happen because i let go of all of it you know did i just say it's all okay it's all safe <laughs> How it, and, how it is will be. And Ash, what was your, do you remember the moment when you realised uh, Ella was a girl? I do because I asked Pete and he said it was a girl and then a few minutes later I'm like, can you check again? And <laughs> made, <him, laughs> made, made him unwrap her to be sure and he's like, I can't see a penis. I'm like, okay. Oh, wow. <laughs> it really is a girl. Because oh. um, I don't know why I just had this this thing this time. I think I'd kind of uh, given up the idea of a girl because, you know, everyone has that pretty picture in their mind of a boy and a girl, how romantic. It's got that perfect pair. Um, so I just sort of let go of that idea. I always thought, oh, I'll probably have two boys, you know, that that would suit our life as well. I'm not, not too yeah. worried about that. But um, she's certainly a nice little balance to the energy in our home. So um, time will tell. I hope that she continues with the space she's in right now because she really is Gorgeous little thing, so different in character to Oliver, but I knew that when she was in utero, I could feel her energy was different to him. It was always different. Um, so, yeah, super interesting, and she was a bit smaller, so thanks to Oliver's large birth entry, he probably gave a bit more space for her. <laughs> I'd already been, I'd already been uh, there before and had a larger baby, so, you know, she was smaller compared to him, which may have been a help as well, I'm sure. Yeah. Oh, Ash, that is just incredible. And I can totally attest to the fact that she is just like so divine and just so beautiful. And oh, she didn't even get time so... to have a like cranial shaping thing go on. She came it's out so like cool. she, I don't know, like she'd never That's what been I mean. Born. She just teleported out. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm so thing. Oh, it was so strange because, you know, she just had no cranial shaping, you know, differences or yeah. anything. I checked her chiropractically. Obviously, you know, we, we both do um, baby work and, you know, you check check these little ones for dual tension and cranial tension. And I was like, how did this baby come out? <laughs> Where is the tension pattern? What am I missing? 
<laughs> so, oh my gosh, um, yeah, so she's a special little soul. So that that's our story. That's uh, why I care so much about teaching women to trust in themselves, trust in their body, and also trust in the connection they have with their baby. Their baby will let them know what they need. You know, if their gut feel is something that's wrong, I always say to women, never, ever, ever ignore that feeling. You know, speak to someone. If so, that everyone says, oh, no, it's all fine, demand for a second opinion because I know from experience it's the women who said, oh, I just knew something was wrong. They, they're always right. They're always right. And so I, I trusted that if I had that moment where I was like, oh, something's not right, I know in that moment I'd be right. So I knew I had the right team around me to action my fears or my concerns because it would only be an intuitive you know, feeling that would get me to say something like that. Um, so again, just being, you know, back to trust. Resources-wise, I just strongly encourage women to go and find resources beyond the hospital. Mm-hmm. because it's a very limited amount of information they provide and often has a lot of risk ratios there that uh, persuade you towards the idea that hospital is the safest place. But there is so much data and research and information now showing us that's not case for low-risk pregnancies. So, mm-hmm. you know, don't feel as though that's the only choice you have. Please go and explore other options. Um, consider, you know, hypnobirthing courses. Find yourself an incredible doula. Um, consider the possibility of a private midwife if you can afford one. Um, and if not, have a look for the birth programs through hospitals that do have like we have here in Perth, the community midwifery program, mm. which is free, which is just incredible. Those women are amazing who run in that program, um, and you'd be, you know, incredibly gifted to have any one of those midwives at your birth. So, I think you know, depending on where you are in the country or in the world, each you know family has to experience mm. um, what their local birthing circle is like you know and they need to go out there and find those resources so i strongly encourage you to explore talk to other mums who've had great experiences what they did how they did it who they did it with um, and find that birth team and that birth support that makes you feel safe and floods your brain and your your body with oxytocin because when you are high in oxytocin then i really do believe that pregnancy and birth are an incredible experience Oh, Ash, I love that. Um, all right. So, ladies, we're coming on 50 minutes now, so I reckon that that's probably a beautiful point to um, to wrap up. Ash, thank you so much for um, being generous enough to, um, you know, share like such an intimate um, part of your life but with our audience. Um, it is just so beautiful and so heartwarming to hear and I think we need to hear lots more of this. So, um, ladies, we would love to hear your birth stories as well. Um, so, please feel free to um, share those with us on, you know, social media or feel free to email them to us, um, which obviously you can do by the website um, because I think that we, we definitely need to be sharing these within our community too. And I think as well, any women who have had multiple births, you know, what did you do differently? What did you yes. learn from your birth experience that you realized you would do differently next time? Or if there's not a next time, you know, did you have that experience that you then shared on with other women? And you said, hey, by the way, did you know? Uh, because that's, I think, really important is our learning points through our pregnancies yes. and our births. A lot of women tell a story, but what did they learn from that experience? And what might they do differently? Or who might they, you know, recommend differently the next time? And that's, that's also something to be um, taking on board when you're preparing for your own family. Yeah, absolutely. All right, ladies. So, again, you've been listening to Wellness Women Radio. This has been Ashley's incredible birth story. We are the Wellness Women, Dr. Ashley Bond and Dr. Andrea Huddleston. And until next week, be well. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives.
Boston Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners. These podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.